Okay, friends, it is time for another episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. We like to start every broadcast with a prayer about studying the Torah. It's a traditional Jewish prayer, biblical based, biblically based, that is. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kichanu Bumetzvotav B'Tzivanu La'asot B'Divrei Torah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has charged us and commanded us regarding your commandments and instructed us about the uh, engaging in Torah study uh, and to engage in the words of the Torah. So here we go. We're going to talk today about Nisan. I am on the roof of my roof, well, my rooftop deck. So I'm on the roof, literally, but it's a rooftop deck. So hopefully you won't be able to hear any of the extra ambient noise, but it's such a beautiful night and I am overdue to give you a play-by-play Nissan 101. Nissan is the first month of the year, according to Exodus 12. And if you look prior to Exodus 12, the uh, months are counted differently because the calendar was changed by the Lord, by Hashem, to make Nisan the first month. So we're going to cover a little bit of that. And I believe in a previous episode that we have already discussed how the calendar was rotated, if you will. Seven slots, or six slots, I should say. So Tishri became, went from number one to number seven. Nisan went from number seven to number one. And all the other months accordingly uh, were changed in their numeric um, number, their numbering, and uh, the order of them is still the same, but the starting place is different, because as we're going to find out, Nissan was highlighted by God as a very special month. So, let's get started. Uh, The first article I'm going to draw from is called 12 Facts About the Month of Nissan. Every believer or every Jew should know, and as a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, Uh, you will want to know these things about the biblical calendar. Now, uh, the first point is Nissan is in the spring. So, Nissan, N-I-S-A-N. Sometimes you may see it spelled N-I-S-S-A-N, but traditionally the the spelling in in, uh, the Bible and in Judaism is Nissan, N-I-S-A-N. So, Nissan is one of the few months mentioned in the Torah by name. Not all 12 months are mentioned by name. Uh, incidentally. So God refers to it as Chodesh Ha'aviv. Chodesh comes from the root word Hadash, new or renewing, but basically new. So like for instance in Israel or in Hebrew, uh, the news is called Hadashim and good news would be Hadashim Tovim. Uh, Literally news that is good. So Chodesh Ha'aviv, the month of spring, uh, ensuring that Nisan remains in the spring forms the backbone of the entire intricate Jewish calendar, including the leap year. So we will cover the leap year, which is an additional month in Judaism uh, in order to keep the festivals in the right seasons. It's not just one day like on the Gregorian calendar uh, where you just add one day in February, but a whole month is added in Judaism and it's seven out of every 19 years. So that's a more intricate study that's a little bit beyond the scope of what we're going to cover tonight. But you could go, for instance, to a variety of articles on uh, JewishEncyclopedia.com or Chabad.org or even probably Hebrew for Christians, the number four, and look up Jewish leap year 
and find out more about that. So, Nisan is the first month of the Jewish calendar, like I said, after Exodus 12. So, this month shall be for the first of the months for you, according to Exodus 12, verse 2. God told Moshe, Moses, curiously, it is one of four heads of the year listed in the Talmud. And that's from Mishnah Tractate Rosh Hashanah 1.1. Now that's appropriate because Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. So in that tractate about head of the year, it talks about the four different new years on the, the biblical calendar and the Jewish calendar. One of which we know as the first of Tishrei, which is or Tishri, which is Rosh Hashanah. Um, the main Rosh Hashanah, which was the birthday of the world and the time of creation also called the head of the year. Literally, Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, but you probably already knew that. So, um, God took Israel out of Egypt and Nisan. That's point number three. So, after 210 years of suffering and exile, God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt. This took place in the month of Nisan. King David says he takes the prisoners out at the most opportune time. That is from Tehillim, Psalm 68, verse 7. Now, according to the Midrash, and in case you're wondering, the Midrash is a classical collection of the sages' homiletical teachings, homiletic teachings on the Torah, on the non-literal level of derush, or sermons, basically. And uh, Moshe told the people in the Midrash, See the loving kindness that the Lord has bestowed upon you, that he took you out in a month which is suitable to go out. Then there is neither heat nor cold nor rain. So, you know, what better time to go out than in the spring? And had he wanted to do it in the fall, which is also ni nice weather, but maybe a little bit rainier, they would have had to wait six more months. Now, Passover uh, begins on the 15th. Now, I take issue with this a little bit just because technically Passover is only about six hours. Okay, so according to Leviticus 23, Passover is from Bain Ha'aravim, which means between the evenings. So as the sun is setting, the, the mixture of, of light and dark. So really dusk. So it's as dusk falls, that's when Passover begins. But once the, the sun is set, you're technically in Nisan 15. Because the day, as you know, I'm sure know, begins at night in the Bible and in Judaism. So once... You've be, once you've turned into, once the day has become Nisan 15, as the Passover meal has started, you've also already begun Chag HaMatzah, which is the festival of, of Matzah. So Passover is really only um, about six hours long, but in modern times, uh, Passover has become the name for the entire week. But technically... After that night, after the Seder's over, it's Chag HaMatzah, which is a seven-day festival on which day one and day seven are a Shabbat, a high Sabbath, Shabbaton. Uh, Shabbat, Shabbatot. So uh, Shabbaton means like a high Sabbath, uh, a holiday Sabbath, regardless of whether it falls on the weekly Sabbath or not. So Passover begins on Nisan 15. Uh, like I said, technically the dusk before Nisan 15. So held annually on the anniversary of our exodus, beginning on the 15th of Nisan, possibly the most widely celebrated Jewish holiday, Passover and Chag HaMatzah, are observed by eating matzah and maror, which is Hebrew for bitter herbs, and drinking four cups of wine during a special meal called the Seder, which means order, in which we recount the gripping story of the miraculous exodus. We'll do another uh, 
podcast possibly on uh, several facts, Passover and Hagamata facts and traditions that everyone should know. Now, funny enough, Nisan, the month of Nisan, is also a name. Nisan is one of only two Jewish months whose names are also given names for boys. Uh, Nisan is a fairly common name for boys, and Aviv, which is the other name for the month of Nisan, and Aviva, the feminine version, are fairly common male and female names. Uh, sorry, Aviv is male, Aviva is female. Aviv, male, Aviva, female. Both mean springtime or spring in modern Hebrew. Uh, their names for boys and girls. The only other month that is a name is Sivan. Pardon me. The only other month that is a name is Sivan, which is a common name for girls in Israel. So, fun fact, uh, Passover is the only Jewish holiday that is also given as a male name. Uh, so, Pesach is um, a name that some people give to their boys in, uh, in Judaism. So, it's also uh, Nisan, point six, it's a miracle month. So, the month of Nisan is also uh, the root, uh, which is Nes, and is the word for miracle. So, we see this at Hanukkah, Nes Gadol Hayasham. So, uh, the word Nes, meaning miracle, makes Nisan a month of miracles. Now, the Lubavitcher rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, would say that seeing Nisan in a dream portends to miracles of miracles in the future. So if, for instance, you saw somehow um, the month Nisan or you were in the month Nisan in a dream, he believed that it was um, an auspicious dream forecasting that you would experience miracles in the future. Now, the Talmud, Berachot, Brachot 57a makes an assertion regarding Hebrew names that contain the letter Nun twice. Nisan contains two Nuns, one at the beginning, one at the end. And uh, they thought that this was important because uh, it stood for like double miracles. And Nisan was full of miracles. The ten plagues, you know, ended in Nisan and the parting of the, the Red Sea was in. Nisan, and you also have first fruits um, where the ark landed on Ararat and on Nisan, and the eight people that were the first fruits of the uh, resurrection of you know all the de- out of all the death they were they were brought you know back to the land of the living after you know having to float above all the judgment. They landed on Ararat, and I believe the waters receded. Uh, there was a significant event with the ark on Nisan. I can't remember if they opened the ark or they landed on Ararat, but anyway, that's in Genesis. And so the holiday or the festival of first fruits falls uh, three days, uh, or the, the Sunday after the, the Sabbath of Passover, which is a special day. So, and that was also the miraculous resurrection of Yeshua, which these events were forecasting and pointing to. Now, on a more secular note, Education and Sharing Day is in Nissan. President Barack. So, President Barack Obama instituted this Education and Sharing Day 
in the U.S. and it uh, was picked to, uh, or Nissan was picked as the month to uh, create that in honor of initiative connected with uh, Chabad. Now, point eight, there's a blessing to be said over fruit trees in Nissan. So if one sees a budding fruit tree during the month of Nissan, there's a special blessing to be said. And it's, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made nothing lacking in his world and created it in it goodly creatures and goodly trees to give mankind and pleasure. So I'm not going to say it in Hebrew because technically you shouldn't say a blessing unless you're actually doing the action associated with it, excuse me, but I tried to paraphrase in English. Many people visit botanical gardens during this time so as to avail themselves an as of an opportunity to observe this beautiful mitzvah. So, uh, point number nine, Nissan won the date, took ten crowns. So what does that mean? So, the sages in Judaism say that the first day of Nissan of that year took ten crowns. It it was f number one, the first day of the week. Number two, the first day the princes brought their offerings. Number three, the first day the Aaronic priesthood was put into effect. Number four, the first day of the temple sacrifices or offerings. Number five, the first time a fire descended from heaven onto the altar. Number six, the first time that sacred foods were eaten in the tabernacle. Number seven, the first time that the divine presence rested amidst the people. Number eight, the first day the priest conferred the priestly blessing. Number nine, the first time it was forbidden to sacrifice to God on ad hoc altars. And finally, number ten, it was the first month of the new year. Alright, so number ten, point about Nisan. The princes brought sacrifices for 12 days. So what does that mean? So nearly a year after the Exodus, the tabernacle, the traveling sanctuary that the people built for God, was inaugurated in time for Nisan 1. On each of the first 12 days of the month, another of the 12 princes of Israel brought inauguration offerings. Now, on each of these days, we read a special, we read a special Yehiratzon prayer along with the Torah portion detailing the gifts brought on that day. Now, what is Yehiratzon? Yehiratzon means, may it be your will. So, the words that begin many prayers of supplication. Point number 11, we don't say Tachanun. What is Tachanun? Tachanun is the confession of sins. So it's the penitential prayers recited on all non-festival days in the synagogues. So because the first 12 days commemorate the joyous, joyous offerings of the princes, we don't say Tachanun and similar prayers. Neither do we say it during the festival of Passover and Chagamatzah. Since the majority of the month passes without saying Tachanun, we don't say it for the balance of the month even after Passover. Now, number 12, and last on in this article, Nisan has 30 days. In the current fixed Hebrew calendar, Nisan has 30 days, and the following month of Iyar has 29 days. So the months then continue to alternate until we reach Heshvan, and Kislev, which can each have either 29 or 30 days, depending on the year. Interestingly, the Talmud questions whether the Nisan of Exodus was 29 or 30 days long, 
which would open up the possibility that the giving of the Torah, which was 50 days after the Exodus, was on a different day than it is currently observed on the holiday of Shavuot. So, let's take a look at Nisan, the month of miracles. So, um, I'm going to get into some other points here about the miracle month. And this article that I wanted to share with you is called Miracles Month. So, in all other such miracles, our enemies were killed by God. Here, our enemies killed each other. Now, this is uh, not all from Scripture. This is partly Jewish tradition. So let me just go ahead and read, and you'll see what I mean. So the name of the Hebrew month, Nisan, comes from the Hebrew word Nes, meaning miracle. We covered that. Because of all the miracles the Almighty did with the Jewish people, to, well, the people of Israel, to redeem them from the slavery in Egypt. Nisan is known as the month of redemption because its main event was Passover. So the Rebbe explains, the head rabbi, Rabbi Nachum Schneerson, explained that, and by the way, I do not believe he was or is the Messiah, okay? He was just a rabbi, he was, um, you know, a great teacher, and whether or not he believed in Yeshua is beside the point at this time. Uh, he did pass on several years ago, and you, know, you can obviously read more about him and his life and what he did for the Jewish people in Israel. But be that as it may, uh, this comes from one of his teachings. He explains that the redemption is especially emphasized on this Shabbat uh, called Shabbat Hagadol, and that is the Shabbat prior to Passover, I believe. Literally, the big Shabbat, because it corresponds to the Shabbat before the Exodus when God caused a great miracle to happen. As commanded, the Israelites prepared the Passover lamb on the 10th of Nisan, which fell on a Shabbat which it does still, to this day, often fall on Shabbat. When questioned by the Egyptians, the people of Israel explained that these lambs would be sacrificed on the 14th of Nisan, the evening of Passover, and that night God would slay all the firstborn of Egypt. The firstborn Egyptians went to their parents and Pharaoh and begged that Israel be released. When this request was denied, the firstborn rose in armed revolt. The result was a big miracle where Egyptians were killing Egyptians, setting the stage for the redemption. Well, still, what's the big deal? So God did many miracles for the people of Israel. Why well, call this a big miracle? The answer is that in all the other miracles, are the enemies of God were killed by God. But in this case, it was, or the enemies of Israel were killed by God. It was the enemies of Israel who killed the enemies of Israel, in this case, each other. In Egypt. So note the order of events leading up to the Seder. So you have the search for Hametz, which is leaven, in the evening, 24 hours before the Seder night, and immediately after the evening prayers. It is not only a physical search, but a spiritual one as well. You have to check yourself for hubris, for pride, for spiritual leaven, and the great separator between man and God. Well, that's pride, leaven, uh, spiritual leaven, uh, puffiness, pride, arrogance. If you haven't done so by that evening, it's the last easily available time to sell your hametz to your local rabbi or to, you know, selling the hametz is something that, you know, most people in the community of uh, believers in Yeshua don't do. They just eat it or throw it out or maybe store it. But technically, it's not even supposed to be in your possession. So there, there are Jewish um, guidelines and provisions 
to sell it to someone and then get it back after um, Passover week so that you're not wasting it um, if you haven't consumed it all. So the morning after um, the search for the Hametz, the day before Passover, um, the, the mor that morning the Hametz, all the leaven is found and uh, that is found is burnt. So spiritually you destroy any remaining barriers between yourself and the divine. Many things like this are acted out in the physical, even with food. A large number of them in Judaism are with food. And it's because I believe that God gave it to the Jewish people to use all five senses, you know, sight, smell, taste, hearing, feeling, and uh, let's see, did I get them all? Sight, smell, Oh, speech, um, hearing, and, and feeling. So we stop eating, is that right? <laughs> Sight, smell, hearing, feel, and taste. Okay, so there we go. Uh, we stop eating hametz by mid-morning. So um, you can check you know, for correct times if you want to follow halakhically and more carefully. And sometime in the afternoon, it, the bringing in of the Passover lamb is read. And so then we say the evening holiday prayers with, with much joy and add the Hallel prayers. Now, what are the Hallel prayers? I'll touch on that for a moment. Hallel prayers are the 14th step of the Passover Seder. And Hallel is specifically uh, the songs of praise. Um, and they, I believe, are Psalm 113 to 118. All right. So, this article ends by talking about the miracles. No, I apologize. That is not correct. Let me jump back. Okay, here we go. So, um, the Hallel prayers are added to the regular service, and the Seder is started as early as possible in order to allow the children the maximum chance to participate. Alright, so let's talk a little bit about the, the new moon. So the moon, the original new moon, in the month of Nisan, both in nature and in the soul, new life force and potential it, it can manifest. So the new moon of Nisan is a very important day for many reasons. So Jewish tradition cites 10. Now among them, you have that on this day, Nisan 1, Israel received the first mitzvah as a people in preparation for leaving Egypt. The instructions regarding Nisan, being the first of the months of the year, as well as the entire system of the Jewish calendar, with all its secrets regarding how we can become the masters of time. It was also that day that the tabernacle was dedicated in the desert, the future prototype of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. It was also on this day that God actually created the world, according to Rabbi Yehoshua in the Talmud. So, I don't quite know where they get that or why they say that because uh, traditionally most um, believe that the world was created on Tishri 1 or even Tishri 6 but definitely in Tishri the first month of the year prior to Exodus 12. Now all of these ideas are intrinsically bound together with the common theme of renewal and newness. So in Nisan nature awakens from its winter hibernation and everything is bursting with new life. So too in the soul. New life force and potential is now ready to manifest itself. Two terms, spring cleaning and spring fever, represent the very real manner in which this energy affects us. 
So we're ready for new directions and new insight, ready to break free from the restraints of the past and embrace the future with new optimism and enthusiasm. Now I'm reading from an article on Chabad.org. They just, they seem to have the deepest articles. I'm going to start adding some stuff from other sites like JewishEncyclopedia.com and some other uh, books and, and so forth. But uh, the articles are just, they're really deep, they're very diverse, and they're very detailed uh, on Chabad.org. And you don't have to add Yeshua to them. Yeshua is in all of this because it's all it, about things God invented and God created, and it's all based on Scripture. So, you know, commentary aside, opinions aside from extra-biblical sources, sure, you know, those are potentially debatable. Uh, but this article, for instance, if you want to look it up, is called The Original New Moon. So, uh, going back, I just wanted to make sure you knew where I was reading from. So, we are ready for new directions and new insight, ready to break free from the restraints of the past and embrace the future with new optimism and enthusiasm in this month. So, this being the first mitzvah given to the people of Israel signifies the essential power of renewal in our national life. Has any people, the author asks, had to begin again so many times due to a long and tortured history? No matter what the circumstances, we have persevered and renewed ourselves countless times in communities around the globe. This essential power exists in every Jewish soul and is one of the secrets of our survival. The miraculous ingathering of the exiles and the rebuilding of our ancient homeland in Israel today clearly testifies to this truth. We are not referring to just renewal, but an even more essential power to reveal new insight and spiritual energy altogether. The verse in Ecclesiastes 1.9 states, There is nothing new under the sun. It implies that under the sun there is nothing new. But what about over the sun? There is always something new. Every soul of Israel is connected to the place over the sun in the deepest way. It is no wonder that approximately 20% of all Nobel Prize winners are Jewish, as this figure relates to the essential Jewish power in the soul to reveal new insight, whether in Torah, literature, medicine, mathematics, or science. May we be blessed to see the fulfillment of the phrase, a new light will shine upon Sion, and may we all merit soon its light. May a new world end quote. May a new world order and a new relationship with God, never perceived before, spread to the four corners of the earth. Now, I take issue with that with that statement and that prayer because the new world order comes from Messiah, not the, the world order that is predicted in the prophets and Revelation. With coming from the false messiah and the false prophet. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid. And the the word in, I guess, Greek, I don't know what it is in Hebrew, but the beast or the false messiah. Um, so the, the new world and the order that comes with it should be looked at as the day of the Lord, the day that is all Sabbath, and that is governed and ruled and reigned over and ordained by Hashem himself and his Messiah, Yeshua. So, let's move on to the next article. Alright, this next article is called, appropriately, Our Other Head. So this is the second, or actually what ended up being the first of the month, but the, the, the next, probably, important head of the year, which is Nisan. So, 
God spoke to Moshe and Aharon in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the head of months, the first of the months of your year. That's from Shemot, Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, from the Talmud, Rosh Hashanah 10b through 11a, Rabbi Eliezer says, The world was created in Tishri, but Rabbi Yehoshua says the world was created in Nisan. So, the Talmud tells of this exchange between the wise men of Athens and Rabbi Yehoshua, in which the Greek philosophers challenged the Talmudic sage to identify the exact center of the world. Rabbi Yehoshua held up his finger and said, It's right here. You can take ropes and measure it if you wish. Now, as every school child knows, goes the article, today the earth is a sphere, meaning that it's very, it's every point can be considered its center. If a center point is regarded as the top or bottom of the globe, or a certain half is designated as its eastern or western hemisphere, these are expressions of a particular historical or conceptual view of our world. In purely geometrical terms, the surface of a sphere has no definite top, bottom, or center, just as a circle is a line with no definitive beginning or end. Now, the time we inhabit is also in circular form. As we travel through time, we come in contact with the various qualities imbued in it by its creator. Freedom on Passover, awe in, on Rosh Hashanah, A-W-E, joy on Sukkot, and so on. But each year we return, like a traveler circling the globe, to the same point in the annual cycle at which we stood a year earlier. Theoretically, any point in this cycle can be regarded as its beginning. This explains the curiosity of the Jewish calendar. We know that the biblical year begins on the first of Tishri, a day we observe as Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, and ends 12 or 13 months later in a Jewish leap year, uh, or biblical uh, leap year, on the 29th of Elul. But if the head of the year is on the first of Tishri, why does the Torah in Leviticus 23 20, verse 24 refer to Tishri as the seventh month of the year? Now, if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, you'll know, already know this answer. And why is the month of Nisan occurring midway through the Tishri-headed year, the year that began at Rosh Hashanah and Tishri, designated in the very first mitzvah commanded to the Jewish people in Exodus 12 as the head of months, the first of the months of your year? This can be very confusing, but I assure you there's a simple answer. So, like a sphere with two poles, the biblical year, it calls it the Jewish year in this article, but I'm not going to call it that because it's the biblical year. This was ordained by the God of Israel in the Torah, in the first five books of, of the Bible, also called the books of Moses, as the cycle of, of the Lord. And he gave it to Israel. And it's for all people to follow. If you look at Isaiah 42, Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 60, as well as 66, Israel is a light to the nations, and even in Isaiah 66, you see where all nations, I believe is where it says it, will come to Jerusalem from new moon to new moon. That's every month. So I'll check that for you, and we'll go to that later. So to finish this article, our annual journey through time is actually two journeys. A Tishri to Elul journey and a Nisan to Adar journey. So if you know the Jewish calendar, or the, sorry, the biblical calendar, you know if you count from Tishri, you have Tishri, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevet, Shavat, Adar, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, and Elul. If you count from Nisan, you have Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elul, Tishri, Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevet, Shavat, Adar. I hope I did that right. I know I'm not used to counting from Nissan. 
Nisan, Yar, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Yes. Okay, so every day on the Jewish calendar can be experienced on two different levels, for it simultaneously exists within these two contexts. I've never thought about this before. This is actually a pretty deep article into the calendar. For example, in the Tishri Elul year, Yom Kippur is the climax of the 10 days of repentance that begins on Rosh Hashanah. On the Nisan to Adar calendar, Yom Kippur is the second giving of the Torah, culminating a 120-day process that began on Shavuot. In the Tishri Elul year, the seventh day of Passover is the cosmic birth of the souls, following their conception on Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day of Sukkot. In the Nisan to Adar year, Passover is the first festival, commencing a cycle that culminates in Purim, the last miracle and final frontier in our quest for connection with God. So as already noted, both these beginnings for the Jewish year or biblical year are referred to in the Torah as heads. The first of Tishri is Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, while the month of Nisan is designated as the head of months. The head is the highest part of the body in both the literal and spiritual sense. Now, as well as in that it is the seat of its loftiest and most sophisticated faculties. So the head has the brain and is the control center of the body. It has your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth. It governs speech, sight, hearing, taste, smell. More significantly, it serves as the body's nerve and command center, providing the consciousness and direction that guide the body's diverse components toward a unified goal. And the Jewish year has not one, but two heads. For Jewish life embraces two different, indeed contrasting modes of existence, each with its own nerve center and headquarters. The head of the year that we're all familiar with, the one on which we sound the shofar and pray for a healthy and prosperous year, occurs on the first of Tishri. The first of Tishri is the anniversary of God's creation of the universe, particularly his creation of man. On this day, we reaffirm our commitment to God as our creator and king and ask that he inscribe us in the book of life. But if the first of Tishri is the first day of human history, the month of Nisan marks the birth of Jewish time or the time of Israel, on the 1st of Nisan, 2,448 years after the creation of Adam, Adam, God commanded his first mitzvah to the fledgling nation of Israel to establish a calendar based on the monthly lunar cycle. On the 15th of that month, the Jewish people exited the land of Egypt and embarked on their seven-week journey to Mount Sinai. The Jew is a citizen of God's world, or you could also say the believer in Yeshua. A status he shares with all other peoples and all of the creations. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not equating believers in Yeshua with Jews. It doesn't mean just because you may believe in Yeshua or Jesus as the Messiah that you are Jewish. It could mean that you have, like Romans 9-11 through 11 says, where uh, Rav Shaul of Tarsus says, and I say that for our Jewish listeners so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Rav Shaul is who we call him in the Messianic Jewish world. In the Christian world, call him Paul, Paul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul. But he would say that I believe it's in the first chapter of Galatians. I'll have to check. But he says that that the gospel is, is, is to the Jew first, but also to equally to the Gentile. But 
God gave this to the Jews first because they accepted the covenant at Sinai. So, it's actually Romans 1.16. Um, I apologize. So, let me correct that. Romans 1.16. So, moving forward. Um, we are grafted in, if you read Romans 9-11, through 11, as Gentiles, we are grafted in to the rich root of the olive tree. But we're wild olives, okay? And it's only by the grace of God, because the root supports us, not the other way around, Paul says. Shaul. So, a Jew is a citizen of God's world. So are believers in Yeshua. A status he shares with all other peoples and all other creations. As such, his head of the year is the first of Tishri, the birthday of man and the Rosh Hashanah of the natural world. But the Jew also inhabits another reality, a reality born of the supra, S-U-P-R-A, supranatural events of the Exodus. So like I said, supra means above or beyond. So the Jew inhabits, uh, sorry, I lost my place. But the Jew also inhabits another reality, a reality born of the supranatural events of the Exodus, the splitting of the Red Sea, and the divine revelation at Sinai. This dimension of his life has its own head, quote-unquote, the miraculous month of Nisan. For the first 25 centuries of human history, from year zero at creation to the year 24, whatever it said earlier, 2440... Uh, I lost it... Sorry, I didn't have that memorized. But the year of the, the Passover that I mentioned earlier, um, that year was the 25th century. And the Jew also inhabits another reality, a reality born of the supra-natural events of the Exodus, splitting of the Red Sea, and the divine revelation at Sinai. The dimension of his life has its own head, the miraculous month of Nisan. For the first 25 centuries of human history, the basic natural relationship between creator and creation held sway. The Torah records miracles and supernatural events prior to the Exodus, but these are exceptions, temporary departures on the part of God from his normal manner of running the world in accordance with the predefined formula we call the laws of nature. Now the Exodus, on the other hand, produced the Jew, a being whose very existence is a perpetual miracle. The Jew makes redemption a constant living, a life in which the miraculous is the norm. So this is why when God revealed himself to us at Sinai, he proclaimed, I am the Lord your God, who has taken you out from the land of Egypt, Mitzrayim, which by the way means from the straits. Egypt is the land of the straits, meaning like between the rivers, but also between the spiritual constriction. So, I am the Lord your God who has taken you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. Would it not have been more appropriate, ask the commentaries, for God to introduce himself as the creator of the heavens and the earth? Is it not the fact that we owe our very existence to God more significant than the fact that he took us out of Egypt? But God, as the creator of the heavens and the earth, God, as the author of nature, is the God that Israel shares with the rest of creation. At Sinai, however, God did not speak to us as the God of creation, but as the God of the Exodus. At Sinai, a new chapter was opened in divine human relations, as God and the people of Israel committed themselves to a miraculous relationship, a relationship that does not recognize the dictates of convention and normalcy. It is for this reason that our sages question the very inclusion of the first 2,448 years of history in the Torah.
In his commentary on the very first verse of the Torah, Rashi cites the question posed by Rabbi Yitzchak. Why does the Torah begin? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It should have begun, This month shall be to you the head of months, which is the first mitzvah commanded to Israel. Meaning, he's saying instead of Genesis 1-1 the way it is, he should have started with Exodus 12-1, where he starts where the Lord, where Hashem gives Nisan as the head of the year to Israel as they come out of the land of Egypt, and he gives them basically the calendar, the gift of time, the gift of keeping the, the Lord's cycle and festivals. Now, if the Torah is the document that outlines our mandate as a people unconstricted by the laws of nature and history, of what relevance are the events of the pre-Exodus era? Why do they matter? And even if they are of historical and educational value, should the Torah begin with these stories? And yet the Torah does not begin with the first mitzvah, that first mitzvah, commanded on the first of Nisan, but with the creation of the world on the first of Tishri, our covenant with God, though a product of the Exodus and of a Nisan miraculous character, has its root in the natural soil of Tishri. Indeed, the Exodus itself has also its beginnings in the month of Tishri. The Talmud notes that the process of our liberation from Egypt began on the first of Tishri, when the hard labor imposed upon our forefathers by the Egyptians ceased six months before they actually left Egypt. The reverse is also true. The creation of the natural world on Tishrei has its origins in the month of Tishrei. Our sages tell us that while the physical world was created in the six days that culminate in the first of Tishrei, the thought or idea of creation was created six months earlier. Conceptual months, that is, since physical time is itself part of the physical creation. But six months earlier on the first of Nisan was when the thought or idea of creation actually came into being. Now, in other words, the natural and the physical, sorry, the natural and the miraculous time systems are mutually interconnected, each serving as the basis for the other. Now, as Jews, we follow, I say that, even though I'm not Jewish, I'm just reading from the article, as Jews, we follow both cycles straddling both worlds. On the one hand, even the most natural aspects of our lives are predicated upon the miraculous and are permeated with a norm-transcending vision. On the other hand, our most miraculous achievements are grounded in the natural reality. For our mission in life can be achieved only by inhabiting both worlds, only by being a part of the natural world and at the same time rising above it to, cons to transcend its strictures and limitations. Our, our mission in life is to transform the very nature of reality. In the words of the Midrash, to build a dwelling for God in the lower realms. This, writes Rabbi Shnur Zalman of Liadi in his Tanya, is what man is all about. This is the purpose of his creation and the creation of all the worlds, that we transform the lower realms into an environment receptive to the divine truth, into a place in which the goodness and perfection of God is at home and is the dominant reality. But here comes the paradox, a seemingly closed logical circle. Are we ourselves part of this lower realm we are if we are sorry are we ourselves part of this lower realm we are to transform or are we a step above it 
if we are part and parcel of the material world, how can we truly change it and uplift it? As the Talmud axiom goes, a prisoner cannot release himself from prison if he himself is bound by its parameters from where might derive his ability to supersede them. On the other hand, if we are, in essence, transcendent beings, existing beyond the confines of the natural reality, then whatever effect we have upon the world cannot truly be considered a dwelling for God in the lower realms, for the world per se has not been transformed and has only been overwhelmed by a superior force. The true meaning of a dwelling in the lower realms is that the lower realms, the lowly realms themselves, change from within. So as to achieve his aim in creation for a dwelling in the lower realms, God created the Jew, a hybrid of the Tishri and Nisan realities. For only in incorporating both these time cycles in our lives, combining a norm-defying approach with a natural pragmatic modus operandi can we achieve the redemption of ourselves and our world only by drawing from above to change from within can we make our world a home for god all right so that was the article called our other head a much deeper intricate article with a lot of nuances and sources that if you're not familiar with i highly recommend reading that at chabad.org and looking at the sources so this last article we're going to take a look at is called nisan month of miracles so i haven't covered you know the the scriptures in leviticus 23 because i'm imagining that most of you are already familiar with the the holiday of passover the month of nisan even and that leviticus 23 i'll just highlight here um that verse 4 is where it states uh, the definition of, of Passover, and it's very brief. It, it says it begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month, then immediately goes into Chag Hamatzah and calls it such, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread. It's um, the Festival of Chag Hamatzah. The Chag, Chag, Chag Hamatzah, and uh, Pesach would be Chag Pesach, the Festival of Pesach, or Passover. So you see that there in uh, Leviticus 23, verses um, 4 through 8. And it is repeated uh, at another point in the Torah, but I, don't, I do not have that uh, handy. Also, uh, the Shabbat, uh, or the day after the Sabbath of, of Passover, is the day that you begin counting the Omer. So the 49 days of the Omer. Alright, so last article we're going to take a look at here. Nisan, the month of miracles. So this is from a letter from the Chabad Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, I believe. And yes, uh, this was dated April 13th, 1973. So uh, he makes a comparison here between uh, Passover and Purim. And you'll see why. So he says that the true Jewish concept of divine providence is, as indicated in the plain sense of the term, that it is continuously active, the concept of divine providence, that is, every day and in every detail, and that supernatural and miraculous divine providence is not limited to revealed miracles, but that also in the ordinary daily life there is miraculous intervention, except that, quote, the one to whom a miracle occurs does not recognize his miracle, end quote. It will be well to add some pertinent points and to bring out the practical message of the whole thought in addition to the explanation of the above-mentioned basic Jewish tenet relating, to, relating it to actual conduct. 
excuse me, since the essential thing is the deed. Supernatural, miraculous direction can take two forms. Revealed miracles, such as the miracles which accompany the liberation from Egypt, that is to say, miracles which are entirely above and beyond the natural order and at complete variance with nature. Now, B, miracles on the order of the miracle of Purim, which was clothed in natural garments. The miracles of the exodus from Egypt, beginning with those that took place in Egypt, right up to and including the liberation of an entire people, young and old, sons and daughters, after centuries of enslavement in a land from which even a single slave could not be honored. Sorry, which even a single slave could not escape, an exodus, moreover, with upraised arm and broad daylight and with honor and with great substance. These were events which everyone clearly saw as revealed miracles. Now different was the miracle of Purim. Why? For although in, also in this case there were miracles to the extent of a complete reversal of circumstances, culminating in extraordinary triumph as expressed in the words, for the Jews there was light, joy, gladness, and honor. Nevertheless, the miracle of Purim was clothed in natural developments. Esther becomes queen, Mordecai gains a place at the gate of the palace, and saves the queen from an assassination plot. Esther intercedes with the king to annul the decree, etc., as all these events are related in the Megillah, although every event individually, and especially the congruence of all the events in those days, at this season, quote, into a pre-designed pattern, was obviously miraculous, as we acknowledge this many times on Purim, referring to the miracles, deliverance, mighty deeds, salvation, and wonders. Now, divine direction within the natural order likewise takes two forms. Direction that outwardly is entire natu entirely natural, and B, direction in which divine providence is clearly inward. Sorry, is clearly in evidence. An example of the former is the course of sowing and reaping. To plant and later to harvest is entirely natural, so much so that in order to discern divine providence also in this natural order, one must ponder deeply about the way in which this providence extending to every detail causes the congruence of a variety of natural phenomena, such as winds, rains, and sunshine, each in the right time and the right measure to produce the desired results. So, the second and easily discernible form of divine providence is what people commonly call success or luck, mazel in Hebrew, a windfall and the like. These terms do not say what the thing is, but rather what it is not, namely not personal achievement, i.e. not the result of special intelligence or hard work, but yet it is. However, the Torah called Torah Emet, the Torah of Truth, tells us the real truth that such mazel, quote-unquote, is the gift of divine providence, the divine blessing in the three general areas of human needs, namely children, life, and sustenance. Real and extraordinary nachas, which is joy in Yiddish, from children, exceptional good health, and extraordinary hatzlacha, success in prosperity. This, then, is the point that was emphasized in the previous letter. The Rebbe wrote a letter before this to be learned from the distinction of the month of Nisan, as this month shall be unto you, the first of the months. Now I want to take a pause here. Isn't it interesting that Hashem, that God would make Nisan the first of the months, that he would honor Nisan as the first of the months, because that's the month the Messiah came. That's the month that Yeshua came to 
die, be crucified, die, buried, and resurrected. He was murdered at Pesach. He was laid in the ground at Chagamatza that night. And he was in there three days and three nights, just like Yonah in the belly of the whale. And he arose like the matzah is found in the afikomen step of the meal. And everyone eats of it. Everybody who witnesses it gets a small piece of it and eats of it. Just like we all who witness Yeshua eat of him. Alright, so God honored this special month that Yeshua made this ultimate sacrifice and was resurrected and ascend well he didn't ascend in nisan we'll get into that in the uh teaching about uh the month of er but he uh was crucified dead buried and resurrected all in the month of nisan on the same exact day first fruits as israel came through the red sea and or reed sea whichever you want to call it yom Suf, and the Ark rested on Ararat. Now there's also one other instance, and I can't remember what it is. Oh, Esther. So Esther came to the king on first fruits. Esther had fasted for three days and three nights from Nisan uh, 10 to Nisan, thir uh, Nisan 11. I think she, I don't remember. She started on Nisan, I guess, 11, and then came to the king on Nisan 14. So maybe she started on Nisan 12. So 12, 13, 14, or 11, 12, 13, came to the king on 14. I have to research it. But she did come to the king, I believe, on first fruits, because we do have a fast marking that time, and it's called Ta'ani Esther. And the firstborn, I believe, in some Jewish circles, fast on that day. So lots of patterns showing us, pointing to a special, unique, and miraculous deliverance and occurrence on first fruits it's a very important day that is not observed without the temple so without the temple we can't really observe it properly so let's go back to the article and we'll wrap up so by ordaining the jewish people to count all the months of the year from nisan the month whose significance is contained in the fact that in it you came out of egypt through the intervention of revealed divine miracles the torah teaches us that such is the essence of the divine conduct of the universe throughout all the months of the year whether it expresses itself in revealed miracles or in miracles which are dressed in quote-unquote natural garments or when divine providence is in evidence and let me say that again slower or when divine providence is in evidence, meaning it's, it's making itself evident, obvious, or it is totally obscured, totally hidden by the natural order. In each, all these forms, it behooves the Jew and the believer in Yeshua to know and remember that God is the creator of the world and the sole and exclusive master of the world. He directs the whole world in all its details. Certainly the small world, a microcosm, i.e. man, everyone and in all details of his and her daily life yours and my daily life in light of the above it is self-evident that every detail of a person's life however small it may be is subject to divine directive and it must be carried out in accordance with that directive i.e the will of the one whose providence extends also to that particular detail nothing can override it or change it for the counting has its roots in the month of nisan whose essence is the revealed miracles of yetziat mitzrayim the departure 
from Egypt. I want to thank you, friends, for being here on this special broadcast of Footsteps of the Messiah, bringing you the month of Nisan. Again, my apologies. Please forgive the overdue podcast that uh, was several weeks in the making. And look forward to the next episode, which will cover the month of Yar, a lesser-known month, which doesn't have a lot of coverage in the Torah or in the scripture, but there are some very interesting things to reveal about ER and talk about in our next episode. So stay tuned. May you be blessed and encouraged, and may the God of Israel, Hashem, and the Lord Yeshua, our Messiah, be with you today, now, and always. And may we look forward to his glorious return in the Techiat Hamitim, the resurrection of the dead, swiftly and soon. And shall we all say, may we all say, Amen. Shalom. And God bless you.